before we get on to eternal things that matter, I have a cat to give away to anyone. All right, now that that's out of the way, grab your Bibles, turn them to Psalm 8, and if you have the legs that are able to make you stand, I would love for you to join me by reading God's Word together. It's a short psalm, I want to read it straight through. I'm going to read from the English Standard Version today. Okay, once you've found Psalm 8... And if you're able to, I'd love for you to stand with me as we read. To the choir master, so that tells us right from the very beginning that although I'm going to read it to you, this song is actually a song that was meant for us to sing. To the choir master, according to the Gittith, I have no idea what that is, neither do many people at all, they think it was potentially a musical arrangement. So to the choir master, according to the Gittith, a psalm of David. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth! Exclamation point. You have set your glory above the heavens... Out of the mouth of babes and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, your work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honour. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, The fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth! Exclamation point. Let's pray together. I wish I knew, O Lord, our Lord, what the tune was that this should have been sung in because we could have sung it to you this morning. But we do echo the words of David. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. We praise you this morning. Lord, let your words, let this psalm embed in our hearts this morning that we might be known as a people who sing the praises to our great God. We thank you for your word. Instruct us through it this morning, we pray. Amen. Take a seat. If I go back many years ago to what now feels um, like a bit of a past life, I had another job and I worked in the... um, I'm not an engineer, but I worked for an engineering company and that company was tasked with 
uh, surveying equipment within heavy industry to ensure that that machinery was going to work as it was supposed to work. Now, my particular job in that um, company was to use a piece of very, very high-tech equipment, a camera that took pictures of machinery or whatever I pointed it at, and it measured the infrared energy that came from that equipment. All right? And then it was my job to interpret those images and write a report back to maintenance engineers. Uh, so I've got a picture up of a switchboard. This is one of the pieces of equipment, not, not that exact switchboard, just a switchboard. There's a switchboard, all right? Um, it's an electrical switchboard. Now, I, I don't mind working with um, heavy machinery, big moving equipment, that didn't bother me. I hated working with electricity. Uh, electricity is the silent killer. You wouldn't know, would you, if you look at a switchboard, whether there's something faulty with it, unless it's on fire. <laughs> then you know. But that fault that caused that fire existed long before the fire broke out. And so you can look at something and see it at face value. You can look at it and it's see it plainly. But an infrared camera turned that, that you could normally see, to something that our eyes can't see. Our eyes and brains cannot process infrared light. That's not how we designed to do it. But fortunately, I had a camera that could. So we can go to another image, and we would start to see images like this. This is a very classic sort of rainbow palette of a thermal image. Now, one of those looks hot. It's just the, the colours that we ascribe to the image. All of a sudden, something that from one plain, simple way of looking at it, face value looking at it, you couldn't tell anything was wrong, and then all of a sudden, point the right piece of equipment at it, pass it through the right filter, and you start to be able to see that in a whole new light. Something's wrong there. And I could write a report and send it to an engineer and say, next time you turn that piece of equipment off, someone ought to go in there and change that connection. Hopefully, a fire wouldn't result, and they'd be able to do that um, sooner rather than later. Now, the reason I say that is because Psalm 8 is similar. Psalm 8 is similar to this. It has a plain reading. We just read it, right? It has a plain reading, one that can be easily seen, I think. I'm going to point it out as we go along. It can be applied. We can look at it through our perspective, the way that we are meant to look at things. I think it was very plain to both the original hearers or the original singers of this psalm. It should also, I think, be very plain and applicable to us today. But then there's also another reading, one that's going to go deeper, one that I think is more profound, but we are going to need a special tool to help us see it. But we will deal with the plain first, and eventually we will get to the deeper reading soon. So let's go back, and I just want to make a few observations about this psalm. I want you to look at it in your Bibles, if you have them in front of you. Grab your Bibles, I want you to look at them. And let's start with the obvious thing that I've already highlighted. 
And you're going to see this entire psalm, not a very long one, only nine verses long, but the entire psalm is sandwiched, verse 1 and verse 9, by an almost repeated line. Songwriters do that a lot. They want us to be able to see the point of this song. And the point of this psalm is that we, as a people, should give praise to God. Right? That's what the psalm's calling us to do. The psalm wants us to sing. The psalmist wants us to to praise. And what particularly does he want us to praise? Well, this is the first point that I want you to see. He wants us to praise God because he has a majestic name. A majestic name. O Lord, now have a look in your Bible. Does your Bible, the, the Bible that you're reading, the English translation of the Hebrew text that this would have been written in originally. Does your Bible say, O Lord, our Lord? Right? That's good. Something very, very similar, maybe, if you're, unless you're reading from the Amplified. (laughs) Oh, God, Lord. No. No. (laughs) I know you've got (laughs) that. I knew that you were going to correct me then, all right? All right. O Lord, but next thing I want you to look at, if your Bible says, O Lord, our Lord, do you see a difference between the two lords that are written in your text in English language? What's the difference in how it's written? Our Lord, uppercase, or O Lord, sorry, O Lord, uppercase, our Lord, lowercase except for the first L. Right? Why? Right? It's because they're two completely different words in the Hebrew language. But in English, they mean Lord. Right? Now, the first one in uppercase, most, I would say, decent translations of the Bible, the, the translators get together and say, how do, we, how do we try to convey God's unique, special name when it's used? All right? So, often, Yahweh. Right? Or, or it's, an, it's a Hebrew acronym of letters that are put together and the way that you say that in English is Yahweh. Um, even to this day, most um, Jewish folk, or they w- won't use, the, the name of God is so holy, they, they won't utter it. They can't utter it. It's a holy, set-apart name that we would spoil if we, we say it with our human mouths. And so it's written down and it's written down as Yahweh. When you see the word Lord in uppercase letters in your Bible, that's the word that is there in the Hebrew. All right? And so the psalmist is saying, O Lord, and he's calling out God's majestic name. Now, this is the name that God gave, God communicated of himself when Moses met God at the burning bush. That's a very famous story. Most people in the room probably know a little bit about it at some stage. Uh, Moses grows up in Egypt. He's actually a Jewish born, um, raised in the palace. Eventually, out of a rash sort of, uh, I'm going to take matters into my own hand, he actually kills a guard, runs away to save his life, spends 40 years in the desert, And he eventually meets God. 
He meets God on his own terms, not his terms. God reveals himself to Moses in a bush that is on fire but is not consumed. God says, Moses, I want you to go back and tell tell my people that I've heard their cries for help and that I will redeem them. And I want you to be my messenger. I want you to lead them to the promised land. And Moses says, you have completely misread the situation. I am not the man for you. Conversation ensures. Eventually, God basically says, Moses, your opinion is invalid. That's the short story. Um, your opinion is, is not in the equation here. I've said it. That's what needs to happen. And eventually Moses says, well, okay, fine. Um, next resistance is, well, I... What, what name? Who, who is sending me? When the people say to me, who sent you? What should I tell them? Now, this is the name that God gives of himself. I am sent you. I, I am who I am. Also means I was who I was. I am who I am. I will be who I will be. It's a present continuous tense, it's called. It just means it doesn't matter what point in time you're talking about, God says, I'm there. Same name, by the way, that when Jesus is talking with the Pharisees and they say to him, you know what, we think that you are a demon-possessed person. And Jesus just goes, that's dumb. (laughs) That's not in the Amplified. (laughs) Probably in the message. But (laughs) he says, that's dumb. Why would Satan cast out Satan from other people who have Satan in them? Right? That's dumb. And they say, don't call us dumb. Pretty infantile. This is where the conversation went. We are children of Abraham. You can't tell us about God. And again, paraphrasing the conversation, Jesus goes, oh, yeah, Abraham. I like that guy. And they go, you're only 30 years old. How do you know Abraham? And he says, before Abraham was, I am. This is God's majestic name. This is the the holy name, the, the name which has been lifted up from all eternity before and will be all eternity past. And the psalmist, David, begins the song by calling out the name of this majestic God, O Lord, but then really, really important, O Lord, our Lord. And this is the way that the Lord, we we know the word Lord most commonly. If you were to go and meet now um, an earl, We've got the king now, right? So maybe the king, although I think you're supposed to call him a majesty or something. But but we think of the word Lord, uppercase L and then lowercase O-R-D, as a title of authority. A Lord, right? 
someone who, who holds a position of responsibility and authority of other people. So, O Lord, our Lord, is a statement which says, God, you are majestic and you're in charge. But it's also, O Lord, how majestic, right? And our Lord, you're in charge, but it's our, our Lord. O Lord, not just a distant God, not just a distant holy God, but a God who is saying, O Lord, you are majestic, you are awesome, you are holy, but you are our Lord. A God who has come close, a God who is near, a God who desires relationship. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name, right? He's just used the name of God. How majestic is your name in all the earth? There's not one place on this planet that you can go. Not one place in the deepest part of the ocean or the highest mountain where God's name does not rule supreme over it all. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that except to say, it's interesting, isn't it? Even as we heard this morning, out of the mouth of babies and infants, we sometimes think that strong names need strong representatives. God does things so differently. He says, I don't need you to be strong to make me look strong. In fact, the New Testament tells us that God is, God is made peculiarly strong in the way that he's communicated, especially when weak people are the ones who say his name. When I'm weak, Paul says, then you are strong. That's when, that's when people look at you and say, man, God must be amazing. Why? Because you're so amazing? No. God must be amazing because look at what he's doing through such weak people. And so it's out of the mouths of babies and infants that you have established strength, this song says. That's how God's strength is made known. So this morning, if you're sitting here thinking, you know what, I, I'm not a good representative of Jesus in this world. Why? I feel so weak. Perfect. That's exactly the sort of person that God's looking for. I don't know what to say. That's what Moses said. And God just said, no, that doesn't matter. I'll put, I'll put the right words in your mouth at the right time. Don't worry about that. Oh, but I'm, I'm not very smart. God says, you don't need to be. I made the world. Amen. All right? He's got all the smarts you need. Oh Lord, how Lord, how majestic is your name. This is a song of praise, not about us. Not about what God's doing in us. This is a song of praise to say, Lord, this is about you. It's your name that's majestic. It's your name that's about glory. Right? You set your glory in the heavens. Out of the mouths of babies and infants, you've established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. There are always going to be foes. There are always going to be people who will point the finger and say, well, where is your God? 
We could read the Psalms from cover to cover, the whole book of the whole book of Psalms. I don't know how many there are, but there's a whole bunch of them where the psalmist song is about people who are pointing the finger and saying, "Where is your God? Where is your God?" Huh? There's always going to be enemies. There's always going to be avengers. There's always going to be people who will point the finger. But it's out, the, out of the mouth of babies and infants. It's out of our mouths. Weak people like us that God will establish his strength in this world where his glory will be elevated above the heavens and that eventually the whole world might know, oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This is a song of praise. It's how it begins and it's how it ends. Verse 9, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. That's what this psalm is about. It's about giving God his dues. All right, second thing I want you to notice though. I just said that this song is not about us and it's all about God. But here's my second point. We have a glorious calling. We have a glorious calling. Read with me from verse 3, and we're going to read through the majority of this psalm again, down to verse 8, just in one, one chunk, and then we're going to break it up into a couple of little things. When I look at your heavens, okay, see this, the shift? Verse 1 and verse 2 was... The glory of God. Look at the glory of God. And now the psalmist, David, says, Hey, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him? Yet you've made him a little lower than the heavenly beings. And crowned him with glory and honour. You've given him dominion over the works of your hands. You put all things under his feet. All sheep, oxen. I wish it said cats there, actually. <laughs> the beasts of the field. We can, we can just use that. The birds of the heaven. The fish of the sea. Whatever passes along the paths of the sea, you've been given a glorious calling. So I want you to have a look at that little text and just note a couple of little changes as the text goes on. The first thing is a really important observation that David makes in this song. So it starts off by, by reflecting, when I look, all right? So just a, a by note here, this is not the main point of what I do this morning, but... I would really love it if you just spent more time each day looking. It's really good for your soul. Looking at creation, I mean. It's really good for your soul. I mean, the book of wisdom, the Psalms, is dominated by consider the ants. All right, that man, that Solomon, quite, spent quite some time, the wisest man on the earth until he remarried multiple wives many times. Dumb move. <laughs> All right? The wisest man on the earth spent copious amounts of time sitting on the ground looking at ants and considering their ways. Or Jesus, 
who tells his disciples this morning, thanks for the reminder, look at the flowers of the fields and the way that God robes them in splendour. Right? That takes some time just sitting and looking at flowers. When I look at the heavens, David says, the work of your fingers, he's looking at creation, the moon, the stars, which you set in place. What does he think when he stops to look? He tells us, right? It provokes a question in David's soul and it provokes a question in yours if you will stop to look at the glory of God's creation long enough. When you stop to look at the glory, and I'm not just talking about things that we very easily put on the postcards, like if you've ever been you know, to Nevada or somewhere like that and looked at the Grand Canyon. Is that in Nevada? I've never been there, I just guessed it. Um, or if you've stood on the shore of uh, the west coast of Tasmania. Or if you've stood on a high mountain peak. They're, they're postcard things, right, that very easily end up on pictures that make us just in awe of the grandeur of God. But you don't have to do that. Just look at the veins on a leaf. Right? You don't have to look at big things, but if you stop to look at what God has made for long enough, eventually this sort of question will arise in your heart. It does for David. The question is, what is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? We begin to see ourselves in the scheme of all of God's creation and it's very easy for us to make, us, make it feel like we are so small. We're so insignificant. Look at the intricacy of what God has done in this world. If you stand on the edge of the Grand Canyon, I can guarantee it, although I've never done it myself, I can guarantee it on the basis of every other testimony I've ever heard Stand in a big place like that and it will make you feel small. I have stood on a boat in the middle of an ocean where I could not see land in any direction. Believe me, it makes you feel small. I've been in central Australian deserts. It makes you feel small. And the question that David asks is a good question, right? When you observe what God is doing in this world, we can easily say to God, why do you care about us? Why, why are you mindful of us? It's, it's both personal and corporate. What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? Yet is the next word. Yet. All right, here's an important observation. God is doing big things in this world. And the question it leaves us with is, does God care about us? Why? God, why would you care about us? Is the question that the psalmist is asking. 
And here's the unexpected conclusion found in verse 5. Yet you have made him, he's talking about mankind, the son of man, mankind, you have made him just a little lower than the Elohim, the heavenly beings. And you've crowned him, mankind, with a peculiar type of glory, a peculiar type of honour that is only found amongst God's created people, humans. Each of us stamped, as it were, with the make of its marker, the marker of its maker. Created in the image of its God. That's true of those who know Jesus as their Saviour, as it is true for those who reject Him. Every single one of us, marked by its Creator. We are image bearers of our God, whether we acknowledge Him or not. God says that there is great dignity in our existence. Man, woman, child, this morning, there is great dignity in your existence amongst God's creation. If all of God's creation, we can go to the most spectacular places on the planet. And God says, yeah, I was showing off when I did that. Yeah, Yeah, that rainbow in the sky that you saw. Yeah, beautiful. But guess what? God looks at you and he sees you above all of those things. Precious and treasured by God. As a, as a bearer of his image into this world. Just a little lower than, than heavenly. I mean, all of us have heard the stories, haven't we? Oh, so-and-so died and then they saw angels or something. We, we, we make movies of, we write books about heavenly beings that are filled with splendor and And glory, and every time an angel shows up in the Bible, all the people sort of just go, oh no. (laughs) They fall down on the ground. Right? They're fearful of their own existence because of the splendor of these heavenly beings. And God says, I've made you just a little bit lower than that. Usually I don't wake up in the morning and wash my face and look up in the mirror and think, what a splendour. <laughs> in fact, I don't think I've ever thought that. But God says, Chris, you're just actually just a whisker off the most unimaginable sights of splendour that I've, that I've created even in heavenly places. And I've crowned you with glory and with honour. And he's done exactly the same thing for you. That's the unexpected conclusion that David comes at because he feels small when he looks at creation. He feels overwhelmed by the magnitude of everything that God has ever made. And the unexpected conclusion is, David... I've placed you into my creation and you are the pinnacle of what I've done. And he says the same thing about you this morning. But that comes with a precarious responsibility. If we are the pinnacle of God's creation as mankind, 
That's what verse 6 says. Have a look at it. You've given him dominion over the works of your hands. God has given you dominion over the works of his hands, his creation. You have put all things under his feet. God has put all things under your feet. And then he names them. Now, this is particularly relevant to those who lived in a society, like when these people sang it, they were farmers. It was an agricultural society. I'm not sure if you've ever worked with animals long enough to realise that generally they are stubborn, they're hard to work with. I mean, I know that on Instagram, all those people that post pictures of, you know, Scottish Highland cows and everyone just goes, oh, look at that, they're beautiful. Right? Or cats. Cats are so cute. All right, they're so cute. They sit on your lap and purr. And if you pick them up, they just snuggle into you. No, they don't. They don't, not all the time. All right? Animals are hard to work with. So if you lived in an agricultural society, to be told, hey, all your pigs at home that you're raising, they always do exactly what you want. Or your lambs, or your sheep, or your goats. The beasts of the field, the birds of the heaven. We've been given a precarious responsibility. We know that we've been placed as dominion over the creation that God has put in place. And yet we know that that can be either frustrated in its, in its experience, largely because of the curse of the sin, right? Adam was... And Eve were told to tend the garden, have dominion over this garden that God created. A perfect environment where nothing was going to go wrong. Until sin entered the world. And then what was the curse? And all the mums straight away think of, with great pain you shall give birth. But there's more to that curse. All right? With great pain you'll raise crops from the ground. With frustration you'll find weeds will grow. You won't get a crop in without the sweat of your brow, without blisters forming on your hands. You will experience the frustration of being in God's creation, dominant over creation and yet frustrated by it. So we we experience frustration both from the creation that we live in and by the fact that we as human beings have not taken good responsibility over creation. We've abused it. We've taken from it without giving anything back. We've been short-sighted about how we use the resources of this world. We have experienced a precarious responsibility with this planet. And we need to look beyond ourselves to find a perfect fulfilment, which is the third and final point that I have for you. Now, I told you that we were going to do two readings of this psalm, one plain, which we've done, and another with a different lens, just like the infrared camera that I used to use. And I said that we're going to need a special tool to do that. And fortunately, you have that tool sitting in front of you, and you have that tool within you. The Holy Spirit has given to us the New Testament. So I want you to read from the book of Hebrews, find that, and I want you to filter Psalm 8 through the lens of Jesus and the gospel because that's exactly what the writer of the book of Hebrews does when he thinks about Psalm 8. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 through 9 says this, 
For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere. I love that the writer of the book of Hebrews can think of Bible references and quote them, but then he thinks, oh, I can't remember where that comes from. (laughs) Some translations say it has been said somewhere by someone. And then he quotes Psalm 8. What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honour, putting everything in subjection under his feet. But it continues. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. There's the frustration that we experience, right? But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honour because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. All right? Where we lack... Christ makes up for the difference, and then some. God is glorified by giving us his lowly creation, a crown of dignity. But remember how precarious that is. We so easily and so often fall short of this place of dignity that God has placed us within in his creation. So what do we do? Right? We sing Psalm 8, or at best, read it regularly, but we read it through the lens of the gospel. We take to heart what the writer of the book of Hebrews encourages us with. Right? We look to Jesus, but look to him, he said. He is the perfect fulfillment of this psalm. Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 11 says this, Who, though he was in the form of God, he's speaking about Jesus, though who he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name above every other name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess in heaven and on earth that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Remember, that's what this psalm is about. It's giving God glory. Do you remember the purpose of the psalm? Giving God glory? Singing the praises of the majestic God? It instructs us to do that, yes, but not simply for instruction's sake. This psalm exists so that you will sing. This psalm exists so that you will praise. This psalm exists so that you will look both at creation, but then through creation to look to him, the one who fulfills it perfectly. God is 
awesomely majestic. He is. His glory covers the entire earth. All right, we have to turn to some of the other Psalms to find this out, but the stars, they shout his name both day and night. The mountains, when you go out to see them, they stand as towering declarations to God's faithfulness. The work of God's hands humbles us. But not humbling us to despair. Because all of the grandeur of God's creation, every single bit of it, he looks over all of that and he sees you. He looks to you. And God is glorified as he crowns our pitiful heads with honour and with glory as his representatives amongst creation. Have we carried that responsibility well? No. No, we haven't. So where do we turn our eyes? But we see him. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus. We look to Jesus who was crowned with glory and honour because of the suffering of death. As we've recalled and remembered and celebrated this morning, a God who drew near in glory, humbling himself, taking the form of his own creation, but perfecting his creation, fulfilling all that God desired for his creation and paying a penalty that we never had the resources to pay ourselves. crowned with glory and honour because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Every single person in this room who walks these streets, watches online, lives in Thailand, go anywhere on this planet, All of God's creation cries out, groans, waiting to be fulfilled and released. And God is saying to us this morning, he's saying to all people everywhere, look to him, namely Jesus, who has fulfilled it all. O Lord, our Lord, will you stand with me as we read the psalm one final time together? Psalm 8. O Lord... That beautiful, majestic name. O Lord, our Lord. Can you say that this morning? Is the majesty on high your Lord? Is he your God? That's what he desires. Not a distant God. Not just a name that's out there somewhere. O Lord, Our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you've established strength because of your foes. Distill the enemy and the avenger. When When I look 
at your heavens. When we look at his heavens, right? The work of your fingers, O God, the moon and the stars which you've made, it leaves us wondering. What is man that you're mindful of him? Who are we that you would care for us? Yet, you have made us a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned us with glory and honour. You've given us dominion over the works of your hands. You've put all things under our feet, all sheep, oxen, the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth because we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels but crowned with glory and honour. And so for his sake and for your glory, we all say, Amen.